First Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the church of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. May God bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. Welcome and good evening. My name is Jason, one of the pastors here at Grace Downtown, and we are so glad that you're worshiping with us tonight. In just a moment, we are going to continue our series in the book of First Thessalonians, um, where we are learning about what it looks like to be good news people. Uh, Before we do that, though, um, we are going to spend some time corporately praying together. So as we read the New Testament and we see books like 1 Thessalonians, these are actually letters that are written to churches that Paul had visited um, as he spread the gospel uh, throughout the known world. Well, one of our pastors at Grace Community Church, we're one church in two locations, and one of our pastors, Paul Hansen, and his wife Amy and their two oldest daughters are in South Africa right now. Now, and they are sharing about marriage and family at a pastor's conference. Uh, we partner with a group called JLife that uh, disciples pastors that are in many, many countries in South Africa at this point. Uh, but Paul and Amy are there representing Grace Community Church and blessing the pastors there. And already they have sent back a couple of reports of what is happening there. Uh, the first one I want to tell you about is um, because of you partnering in the gospel with us financially, uh, we had some money set aside for missions that was not earmarked for a particular trip. And so Paul and Amy were able to take a few thousand dollars with them because of your generosity as a church, and they were able to bless each pastor and their wives with anything they needed while they were in town. So Amy took a few of the pastor's wives out to buy new dresses with them. And the excitement that they had as they tried on brand new uh, dresses was something that Amy wanted to pass along to us. So thank you for your financial giving um, because it's going to some really great things in Africa. The other thing that uh, we wanted to report back is that Ethiopia is one of the newest countries that JLife is reaching out to. And the pastor from Ethiopia brought back a report to JLife that they have seen 1,000 people people baptized in their country. So um, God is doing some really incredible things in Africa, and it's, it's awesome to be a part of that as a church. So we want to spend some time praying for um, all of Africa, uh, J-Life Ministries, the conference that's going on now, and Pastor Paul and his wife Amy and his daughters Molly and Emma. So we're going to spend some time. They're still there now. So if you would spend some time as the Lord leads praying for these things, that would be great. So just join together with some folks around you. We're going to pray right now for them. If you'd rather not and just stay in your seat and pray alone, that's fine. But gather around with some folks. Spend just like one or two minutes praying for what's going on in Africa.
Father, thank you for what you're doing in South Africa and all over the country of Africa. God, thank you for the reports that we are hearing um, from what you are doing, what your word and your spirit and your people are doing in Africa. Thank you that we can be a small part of that. We pray uh, for your hand to be on Amy and Paul and Molly and Emma. We pray that you would use them for your purposes even as they travel home. Uh, God, we thank you for the opportunity to see and be a part of a little bit of your kingdom here on earth as people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people glorify the Father in heaven. God, be with us now as we open up your word. We pray that we would indeed become your good news people because of the good news of what you have done for us and because of the good news of your kingdom and what you want to do in our lives and in our world and in our church today. In Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, we're going through this letter in 1 Thessalonians where we are talking about what it means to be good news people. Good news people. When we hear the word good news or when we hear the word gospel, which means good news, we usually think about how we are made right with God. And we should. That's the good news. That's the gospel. But here in 1 Thessalonians, Paul is assuming that this church in Thessalonians know how they have been made right with God. He is assuming that they are in Christ and that his spirit is indwelling each one of them. But now he is instructing them of how to live as good news people. To live as people that truly have accepted, believed, known, good news. So it's an instructive book for us to go through this semester to show us how to be good news people. Uh, Paul in the book of Romans writes, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We are made right with God. We are found in Christ by the Spirit's work, by faith, as we hear the word of God. So if we are united with Christ, if we have been justified, if we have been saved, it's because his word has done a work in our lives. But here, just like throughout the rest of 1 Thessalonians, Paul is going to show us that the word continues to work in the life of a believer. The word does not just bring us to faith and then become kind of a checklist so we can do the right thing. No, the word continues to do its work, forming us into his good news people. Tonight, we're going to read that the word is at work in our lives if we are in Christ. We are going to try to answer what the word does in the life of a believer. What does the word do in the life of a gospel community? Why is gospel truth one of the foundational parts of our church? And we're even going to get personal and just talk about why we should read our Bibles in the first place. Please turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. As Jeff just read, we are in chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians. We'll be taking a look at verses 13 through 16 tonight. 1 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 16. We'll read a little bit and then we'll make some observations here from the text. Verse 13, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in the life of believers. 
So first observation here, and we talked a lot about this last week. If you missed the sermon last week, you can go back and take a listen to that. I'm just going to briefly touch on it here. First, the message that Paul brought to the church in Thessalonica that he's writing this letter to, the message was authentic. It was true. It was a message that he did not make up or he did not embellish, he or the other apostles. The word that they spoke about what Jesus had done for them was true. It was an authentic message. That's what he's saying here. And he says that they accepted it not as the word of men, but as it really was, the very words of God. He's saying here that they believed them because they believed that what they said wasn't just the word of man, that God was actually speaking through them. In 2 Peter chapter 1, we hear the mechanics of how actually scripture was written. Inspired by God, God's perfect word, but written down by humans like you and me. In Second Peter chapter 1, we read, No prophecy has ever been produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Paul is claiming to be one of those men. That he spoke, not words he came up with on his own, but he spoke as the Holy Spirit carried him along. That As he was speaking, it was the very words of God. This claim is very different than other religions. Not the claim that someone speaks on behalf of God, but the claim that Paul and the other apostles actually saw what took place. That they actually witnessed what took place, the life of Christ, the life of his disciples. They actually saw with their eyes the things that they spoke of. So they weren't talking about a dream they had. They weren't talking about a rumor that they heard. They weren't talking about a composite of a bunch of scriptures put together. No, they were talking about things that they actually saw. And this makes a difference. This is different than every other religion. Every other holy scriptures of a a religion is written by men who had dreams, had visions about things that had happened centuries in advance or as a composite of scriptures that already existed. These claims that these men are making are being made and are being written down and are being distributed within the lifetime of when they actually happened. So an example of this is some of you may know that there was a tornado that ripped right through downtown Iowa City in the year 2006. How many of you lived in the area in 2006? Okay, a few of us, but definitely not the majority of us. As I tell you about the tornado, I can tell you that St. Patrick's Catholic Church that is far out on the east side of town now was right downtown, but it was destroyed beyond repair, and they had to start their church over east of town. It went right down Iowa Avenue, like right up from the old capitol, and just destroyed apartment after apartment. There was a—I'll never forget this picture of the car that was stuck in the tree— I don't know how a car gets stuck in a tree, but it takes some serious wind. It was an incredibly destructive tornado. I lived in Coralville at the time, just like three miles down, and we had some heavy rain, and I saw some dark clouds, but it was nothing like what ripped through the downtown Iowa City area. Now, as I tell you about that, that was just 14 years ago, and you can verify if I'm telling the truth or not, even without access to Google, okay? You can verify it by talking to the individuals that just raised their hand. Say, what did you see? Is he telling the truth? 
Was the tornado really that bad? Where did it go? Did it really not hit Coralville? You can verify it because you can talk to people that were actually there. Paul and the apostles and the other writers of scripture either saw it with their own eyes or talked to people who saw it with their own eyes. So when they said that Jesus said he would die and rise from the grave and then did, there were people that could verify their story. That's what Paul is pointing out here. They accepted his word, not as the word of men, but as it really was the very words of God. And then he says that this word that they received is at work. It's at work in you who are believers. That God's word is at work within them. This word work, it's the same word we get the word energy from or energize. The, God's word was giving energy energy to them. Every other place in the New Testament that this word is given, it says that a a human is doing the action, that a human is doing the work. This is God's word doing the work to a human being, to the believers who are in Christ. This word means energy, efficient, active energy, that God's word is doing something to them. It's helping them in some way. It's making them into a certain kind of people. This was good news for them, and it's good news for us. Because whatever your exposure has been to Scripture, to the Bible, God's Word, whatever your exposure has been to it, whether little or great, you've had times where you don't feel like it's working. How many of you take vitamins? fess up. Some of y'all need to get with the program. I don't know if vitamins work. I take vitamins too, but I don't know if they work. No clue. It it may be placebo effect. It's like, why not? You can buy like a thousand of them for five dollars. Like, it really doesn't affect my life that much. I might as well go ahead and take them. The only thing I know it does is changes the color of my pee. That's all I know. And if it's doing that, it's doing something, right? It's doing something. So, but I don't know if it's working. I don't know if I'm more healthy. I don't know if I have more energy. It beats eating vegetables too. So until they make cauliflower taste like bacon, like I'm going to take the vitamin. I'll just go with the vitamin. But I don't know if it's working. I don't know if it's working. God's word can be the same. We can feel like it's not working. We can go to it expecting it to do something and then we don't receive the results that we think it should have. This can cause a number of things. This can cause us to doubt. It can cause us to set it aside altogether. This can make us doubt the reality of God or at least that he interacts with us. It can send us down some tough roads. Do you ever feel like God's word is not working? When God's word is not working, a number of things can be happening. Sometimes we just don't know what to read. Maybe you're in that boat. Maybe you're like, I don't don't even know where to start. Do I just like let it flop open and see where it's at? Do I start at the beginning and read all the way through? Do I start with the the red parts? Do I start with Jesus? Where, Where do I go? Maybe you don't know what to read. 
Or maybe you've tried to read and it just doesn't read like a normal book. And so you're not sure how to read it. Or maybe as you read it, you have doubts that, man, this can't be real. This doesn't seem to correspond with reality. Or like vitamins, over time, you're just not sure if it's changing anything. Here, Paul is telling us that the word is indeed at work even when we do not see it. The Thessalonians, the church in Thessalonica, they had every temptation to believe that God's word was not working. They had been persecuted for their faith. Many of them, like many of them in the church in Thessalonica, had come out of pagan Gentile backgrounds, and many of them coming to Jesus meant leaving their family. Coming to Jesus sometimes meant leaving the marketplace and the job that they had known. Coming to Jesus sometimes meant changing the whole pattern of their lives and receiving more hardship and more persecution for the name of Christ. They needed to know whether God's word was working or not. And Paul and the other apostles, they are staking their very lives on the fact that the word and words of God works. So we need to know. We need to know how it works and if it works as well. Paul sees the word working in the lives of this church, and indeed it is making them into good news people. And in fact, it's really the only good news that they have. Every part of scripture reminds us of the good news. God is doing something on every page in scripture. I want to get really practical with us tonight. I want to see how this works because the Bible, it can be really confusing. No matter how long you've read it, it can be really confusing. If you're just starting out, it can be real confusing, especially if you start from the beginning like you do in a normal book and you just start reading and you get to Leviticus and you're like, "Uh huh, what is going on here? So I want to take a passage in Leviticus that is one of my favorites. Uh, Leviticus chapter seven. This is the law of the guilt offering. It is most holy. In the place where they kill the burnt offering, they shall kill the guilt offering, and its blood shall be thrown against the sides of the altar. What? What is going on? And all its fat shall be offered. The fat tail, the fat that covers the entrails, the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins, and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. What is going on? It's teaching us how to fillet animals. As you go along in your Bible reading plan, you come to things like this and you go, I don't know what I'm reading. I don't know why this does me any good. I'm told that God's word is living and active and the whole thing is profitable, but I don't know what I'm reading here. So this is one example of something we can run across and we're just like, okay, God, I don't know how I can trust that your word is at work. But the more we read scripture, the more of it we take in, the more the Spirit shows us, and then we read things in Leviticus, chapter 7, like this, and then much later we get to things like this in 1 Peter chapter 1. 
knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The New Testament writers are telling us that Leviticus is there, so we see the length that God's people came to to atone for their sins before Christ came. And then the New Testament is telling us, behold, Jesus is the Lamb of God without spot or blemish, and he is the perfect sacrifice on our behalf. Now we're connecting some dots. God's word is at work. God's word is doing its work as we take it in, even when we do not understand it. Let's continue on to verse 14 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. That's Paul speaking of some of the persecution they're facing from their own countrymen. Who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. And displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they may be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. Paul is saying here that the church in Thessalonica was not the first church to be persecuted for following Christ. And they would not be the last. In Acts 17, we learn a little bit about this church in Thessalonica. And it says some in Thessalonica were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas and many, many devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of, of rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. So Paul here is saying that as you've come to faith, you've been persecuted, as we talked about earlier. He's saying that the the Jews persecuted Jesus, who was one of their own countrymen. He's saying that you've, you've persevered even through that kind of persecution. Paul here is saying similar to what he says in 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. He's saying that even to some of the Jews that Jesus came to save, his own people, the word of a cross, the word of a sacrificed, killed Savior was a folly to them. They thought there's no way that's how the king of the Jews comes. But to those who are being saved, Jew and Gentile alike, the word about what Jesus had had done was the very power of God. Paul is putting a contrast in front of us here and in front of the church in Thessalonica, saying that when we believe the word about what Jesus has done, we have the very power of God at our disposal and we can be his good news people. He is also telling them that when they suffer, they are not alone. They are not the first church and they are not the last church who will be persecuted by the, because of the name of Christ. In fact, to this very day, there are brothers and sisters in Christ who insist on gathering to worship Jesus. And they are imprisoned. 
they are persecuted, they are beaten or killed because they refuse to stop speaking about Jesus. Throughout all of history and until the end of time, there will be those who are persecuted for their faith. And not just uh, mean comments on Facebook. That's one kind of persecution, but their very lives at stake because of what they believe. Paul is telling the church in Thessalonica, Paul is telling us, Paul is telling our brothers and sisters all over the globe that they are not alone. God's purposes will prevail in history, and they have prevailed throughout history. Here we see the church in Thessalonica becoming God's good news people. We read throughout uh, Thessalonians that they are avoiding sin, that they are preparing for the kingdom to come. They're placing their faith in Christ alone for their forgiveness. They're avoiding seeing Jesus as a threat to their own kingdom, and they're living for his kingdom and seeing his kingdom as best. This is what it takes to be good news people and to persevere through any amount of suffering that comes against us or sin that is within us or that is within the church. We need the power of God and the word of God to navigate the things that we face. So let's get practical here. Let's talk about some application. How can we be people that are committed to God's word and words? To be good news people, we must be committed to God's word. Three values that we have at this church. Gospel truth, gospel community, and gospel mission. We want to be people that are a gospel community, a good news people, a good news community. A group of people that is coming to remind each other of the good news of what Christ has done for them. Then we want to equip one another. We want to encourage one another. We want to help one another in a way that then we will be sent out on gospel mission. Going out in our neighborhoods, going out in our workplace, going out to the University of Iowa, going out to the ends of the earth and proclaiming the good news of what Christ has done. But in order to go on gospel mission, we have to be people of gospel community. In order to be people of gospel community, we have to know and believe and practice gospel truth. If we are not convinced that the word of God is true, if we are not convinced of gospel truth, we will give up on gospel community and we will find another mission for ourselves. We need to be people of gospel truth. We must be people of gospel truth. As we are people of the word, the word helps us with the complexities of life. As we go throughout life, we face complexities. We talked about that in the very first sermon with Thessalonians, that in order to be good news people, we need a good news that will meet the complexities that we face in life. Isn't it interesting that whatever concerns us today is like the biggest deal in the world, right? Whatever's going on right now is like the most important thing, the most anxiety we've ever felt, the most sadness or the most anger that we've ever felt. And then there's just a new thing that comes and a new thing that comes. And we can't even remember the other things we are worried about. That's because life is so complex. Jesus himself said, today has enough trouble of its own. 
Today has enough trouble of its own. Every single day has new complexities. Every life stage has new complexities. And we just keep thinking the next stage of life or the next thing we accomplish or the next assignment we turn in is going to give us the peace that we've been looking for. And our life is going to be easy breezy. But that's just not the way it works. Life keeps coming with complexities. And the only thing up to the challenge is God's word. You are not up to the challenge. I am not up to the challenge of the complexities of life. As soon as I get one thing figured out, a new complexity comes along. A new area of suffering, a new area of sin, a new circumstance, a new thing that we face in our culture, a new thing going on in the church, something going on with one of my kids. There's complexity all around, and the only thing up to the challenge is God's word. God's word is not just an instruction manual for life where we can go, how do I change the plumbing underneath my sink? Oh, I'll turn to Leviticus chapter 9 and see. However, there's some really helpful things in here. There's some really helpful, practical things that God's word gives us. Here's some things that God's word tells us. Think about how practical this advice is. Don't go to bed angry or you give the devil a foothold. When you have a problem with someone, go straight to them instead of talking to everyone else about it. When you're anxious, instead of thinking about your problems, pray with thanksgiving. Don't take another person's spouse. Good advice. Our words, our words can cause major problems. Be careful with them. Pay your taxes even when a pagan government is in charge. Jesus said that one. There's some practical things in Scripture And when we live by them, and when we live by God's kingdom, we have the very power of God at our disposal. We need to be people of the word because life is so complex. I felt like 2019 was the most complex year of my life. I didn't know which way was up, down, forward, backwards, north, south. I didn't know anything. I felt like I had to relearn everything. In the spring, I sat down and I'm like, God, just show me what a pastor is. I don't know. And so I sat down with his word and I read the pastoral epistles, Paul writing to Timothy, a young pastor, and telling him, this is what a young pastor does. And then I read First and Second Thessalonians. This is what a good news people looks like. This is what the church looks like. I read the book of Acts. This is the church forming around the gospel and the spirit of God. As I read through those things, it started to show me what to do one step at a time. There were times in the last year where I knew that this was true, but my emotions and my feelings about what was true were all over the place. I needed this to be true. I think I read the Bible more in 2019 than in any other year of my life. And it's because it felt like my only way to breathe. It was like, my very breath. I couldn't breathe without it. I couldn't move without it. God's word meets the complexities we face in life. We want to encourage you to read God's word. If you need some help getting started, please ask for help. One thing you can do right now, if you have our app, would you pull out your phone right now? 
if you don't have the app, now's a great time to download it. You can search Grace B3, Grace B3 on the App Store or Google Play. But if you click on our app, Grace B3 is what you need to search for. But when you click on our app, on the homepage, you will see Bible reading plans. There are four on there that we recommend. One of them is 90 days, another is two years, and a couple in between. We would encourage you to just read God's word. If you don't have um, the app or a smartphone or anything like that, we have those Bible reading plans printed out as a, on paper back at our info table, and you can grab one tonight. Don't see it as a checklist. Don't be legalistic about it. Take the 90-day reading plan and try to do those 90 days in a year. Just start small. Start with five minutes a day. Jump in and read about the life of Jesus. Jump in and do a Bible reading plan where you're reading a little from the Old Testament, a little bit from the New, so you can figure out why people are filleting goats and fighting giants in the Old Testament. Read God's Word. Don't do it to feel better about yourself. Don't do it so you won't feel shame. Don't do it to look like a good person. Don't do it to just make other people happy. Do it because you need the word and the power of God to face the day and to tell you who Jesus is. The Bible helps us in our suffering. The church in Thessalonica had every reason not to read their Bible. Every reason to complain about how hard it was to follow Jesus. Yet Paul saw the word of God at work within them. In my most profound seasons of suffering and hardship and sadness, God's word has been true north, a cornerstone. It helps me put one foot in front of the other. God's word is the power of God as we suffer. And lastly, God's word speaks to our sin. The hardest thing you will ever face, the most complex thing that you will ever face, the biggest giant that you will ever face, is the giant of your own flesh. Your own temptation to go your own way, to be your own boss, to do your own thing, to do what feels good, to do what the culture is doing, instead of obeying God's word. Here's the amazing thing. God's word not only tells us the will of God, and God's word not only tells us what to do, it tells us what to do when we don't live up to it. It reveals God's will to us. It reveals God's law to us. But it also shows us we can't live up to that law. We can't live up to his standards. We don't live up to our own standards. But then it tells us what to do about it. It tells us Jesus, fully man, fully God, came down and lived among those he created. And he, the very ones he came to save, his own people, hung him on a cross. Though he was innocent, he died the death that I deserve for my sin. 
And he took on my sin, and in exchange, he gave me his righteousness. And then three days later, he rose from the grave, showing that he was God, showing that he was the spotless lamb, the lamb of God that came to take away the sins of the whole world and mine too. And I know about that because of God's word. God's word speaks to our sin. It helps us when we feel stuck in habitual, addictive behavior. It speaks a word when we are stuck in our own shame. It speaks a word when we don't even know what sin is. God's word speaks to our sin. In Romans 7 verse 4, God's word tells us that because Christ died, we have been united to another that we have been united to Christ who raised from the dead and now we can live lives that are pleasing to God. I need God to speak that word over my life every single day. 1 John, or John chapter 1, 11 through 12. He came to his own, meaning Jesus. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We have an opportunity to be called children of God, to be united with the Heavenly Father in Christ, to have his spirit come and live inside of us, and to live a new life. And I know that because the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. We can be good news people when we know and live out the good news. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can know what is true. Thank you that you speak to the complexities of life, that you speak to our suffering, that you give us hope. Thank you for that cloud of witnesses that we sang about, that cloud of witnesses that we read about in your word in Hebrews chapter 11 and 12. We hear about a cloud of witnesses that testifies, that says it's worth it. Keep going, persevere. Thank you for speaking that word. Thank you for speaking a word to our sin. Thank you for not leaving us in our guilt and shame. Thank you for showing us what sin is. Thank you for setting us free from the law of sin and death. And thank you for making us alive in Christ. Thank you that Jesus died for me. Thank you that Jesus rose from the grave. Thank you that the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave now lives in me. Thank you, Jesus, that I can know all these things are true because of your word. Thank you, Jesus, that we can partake in the Lord's Supper, that we can break bread and remember your body, Jesus, broken for us and your blood spilled on our behalf. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that we can break bread with brothers and sisters in remembrance of what you have done. Thank you that you are the word of life. Thank you that you are the bread of life. Thank you, God, that we can know what is true. Thank you that we can know good news in a world full of bad news. 
God, thank you for your spirit. We pray that you would keep speaking to us here tonight.